Good evening, good evening, good evening to everybody. It is seven o'clock. <laughs> and we're going to start tonight's Bible study as it is seven o'clock. I know we all having a great time fellowshipping. Nothing wrong with that. Can always take a few extra minutes to fellowship. All right, let us start uh, with a word of prayer. Our gracious God in heaven, it is at this time we come before your throne of grace with bowed heads and humble hearts. Thank you for this day and thank you for this hour of worship and hour of study. May the things we learn tonight help us individually and collectively. These and all other blessings we ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so for those online, we got masks on. So if you hear me breathe funny or pause, that's because I'm either fogged up my glasses or I'm just old and I need to take a, a breath or two. I'm not used to running on the treadmill with a, with a face mask on. Um, we're going to get to that last one, Concepts and Conversations. Brother Smith asked me earlier, uh, excuse me, brother, what's my name doing up there? I should have che checked with you ahead of time, but this is a conversation we had last week. When I get there, I'm sure you'll, it'll be okay, brother. It'll be okay. Um, <clears throat> so... Brother Cook took last week and he did a lot of the so what's as well as breaking down some of the other construction that was going on at the temple at the time. We're in the uh, middle of that. First Kings 7, 23 is where we left last week. Um, I'm gonna spend a little time in the leftovers because I had a couple of, I needed to, I needed a break last week. I had a big certification test, cybersecurity. I was, the Lord blessed me to pass it. <laughs> so Brother Cook, um, stood in last week for me just because I had so much studying to do it. It was just, and I never want to come up to facilitate a class and I'm half stepping or half studying. So anyway, a um, couple of interesting things. We're going to spend a little time in the leftovers. A couple of interesting things that popped up from service on Sunday was interesting. Um, one of the things that Ricky said was uh, he gave a couple of scriptures and said that uh, we're not going to turn over there, but uh, look them up when you get home. So I thought about that was kind of interesting. I said to myself, that's almost like uh, the time I had some, had crabs over at Elder at the Harvey's house. Elder Harvey and his wife, very hospitable. They give you the good stuff, but you got to work to get the meat out yourself. That's what that kind of reminded me of. And if no, if everybody had a chance to pick up the Bibles, one of them was Romans 14. And to sum that up, that's about not eating meat, being a stumbling block to your brother. But a couple of things that I would say to just sum that up, I would say go over there in case y'all were busy with certification tests and didn't have time to pick up your Bibles this week. I get it. Is to get along with one another. And verse, I believe it's, and please forgive me, go read it and prove me wrong if I'm wrong. It's either verse 14 or 17. Sums up that chapter for me. It's one of my favorite statements in the Bible. Paul's, role, uh, Paul's words to the Romans, uh, church in Rome. Uh, that whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. But whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. Um, that was one of the things, that's in Romans. And the other one was, 1 Corinthians 8, and this one also had some things about eating meat and about sticking together, being your brother's keeper, making sure 
that those that are weak don't stumble. Um, just some good things, like I say, in case no one got a chance to go and dig into it. Um, another thing that made me kind of chuckle is uh, Sunday we made mention about how people doubt, period. You're going to have doubters everywhere. Said that if Jesus would have come down off the cross, somebody would have said, well, they didn't hammer the nails in right. So that actually made me kind of think of a funny story about that uh, Luke 16 verses 24 and then dropping down 27 to 31. It's actually about Lazarus and the rich man. And what was funny to me is that you drop down into those latter verses. And it's so funny that the gentleman's name is Lazarus, not the same Lazarus that was raised from the dead. But <clears throat> when it says he's the rich man is now in hell and he's and we all know the story and he's trying to get Father Abraham to send word back to his brother. And it's so funny. And it said, just jumping down right into 29, Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let, let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one who rose from the dead. So that's even Abraham calling the shot. So Brother Cook, Abraham agreed with you on that one. <laughs> um, one of the other things that um, he discussed before also, and something that just kind of clicked with a real life experience with me over the, over the week. Um, and one of the things I mentioned in the other lessons is sometimes getting bogged down in the de in details that don't matter not saying that everything in the bible is not important but i don't believe that the tipping point of the scales is who was right about the color of jesus sandals or if he wore sandals um when we make when we debate things that don't matter we create unnecessary points of contention now the labor, the connection was made with the passing of the, uh, being blessed to pass that cybersecurity certification test that I did. Um, I was talking to a couple of people in my support system and I won't disclose it to y'all, but there's a certain score that you have to get, 900 is a perfect score. And to pass it at all, you need 750. So, it's not a graded test. So if you get 900 or you get 751, it's the exact same thing. So as I was sharing these things, I shared with my scores with him and he kind of responded like one of, my, one of my buddies told me, hey man, you passed. That's all you need to worry about. Don't feel bad that you didn't get no perfect score. For all have sinned and fallen short. <laughs> Um, just also kind of moving on down, concepts and conversations with Mike Smith. I have a lot of Smiths around me, as y'all can probably see. Uh, working with my buddy, we had a conversation about balance. Um, several concepts coming out of that. Eat the meat, spit out the bones is what one of my old teachers used to tell me. And there's two concepts that I found conflict with, but this is just one to think about during the week. And if anybody has thoughts, please send them to me. It's 
if we don't learn from our history, we are doomed to repeat it, I'm sure, but everyone's heard that. At the same time, one cannot live in the past because if one focuses on the past, they'll miss the present and the future. Now, these are just concepts that I was thinking about as far as balancing acts go, which kind of led to, and I know this is jumping the shark a bit, but it led to another thought that I had. And trust me, we're gonna jump into the scriptures. We're gonna hitch our wagons to it and get through it. But tonight we're gonna be talking about more building, putting in the plumbing and some other things. So this part of Kings, like I said, is like uh, an old road trip with the parents in a, the old panel van. And we're about to hit a piece of interstate where not a lot of gas stations, not a lot of places stop, not a lot of scenery, but it's necessary to get where we need to go. So I was thinking about the concept of hope, which is, is given birth to a whole, of like a series that I want to do, not now, in due time. But two of the things I thought about is that hope. Sometimes we don't treat hope properly. Hope is not something that you just get or you just have. That's more a wishing. It made me think about two scriptures in particular, going back, uh, going back to Romans. Um, been in Romans a lot this week, but specifically Romans 5, 1 through 5. And that, re Romans 5, 1 through 5. Oh, no, I, I, I got it here, bro. but I am going to get you to do some heavy lifting. So I got you. <laughs> Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also knowing that tribulation work pa worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of god is shed abroad in our hearts by the holy ghost which is given unto us that showed me in that middle portion of that scripture in particular that Hope is not something that's just derived from nothing. You have to work to build hope. Hope is, is an action word. It, it denotes activity. Um, and sometimes I don't think that we treat hope properly. By that I mean, when it says in here, I took it, it said, hope maketh not ashamed. Hope never disappoints but expectations do. So when things happen, we say, well, I hope this, but God didn't, didn't do, basically didn't do what I wanted him to do with a situation. Then that's not hope, that's expectation, that's entitlement. But that's a whole, we gotta get over to Kings. We're gonna jump in there in a minute. Also, um, just following up on that same concept, I have one other scripture, Romans 8, 24. Romans 8, 24, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? So hope 
versus expectations. Hope never disappoints, but expectations do. That'll be coming to a theater near you sooner or later. Okay, now, moving to the last conversation I had this week. I'm getting to it, I promise y'all. We about to jump right into Kings, and then we're gonna take off like a rocket ship. Brent Smith, my brother. <laughs> we had a good conversation last uh, Wednesday night. Uh, some of the members get together a little early, go downstairs, have a meal together. It's, re it's really a good time, good time. Really enjoy it. Thanks to the Canes, they usually coordinate things. I know that's right, sister. But me and, me and Brother Smith were sitting there next to each other and we were talking. We both, like a couple of other people in Palmer, Joe, we make our living with computers. I'm more on the network security side. Brother Brent's great programmer. And one of the correlations that I brought in here, tying it back to one of the things that David said to Solomon in great repetition is, if you keep the Lord's statutes, if you walk in his ways, if we've heard that repeatedly through the text, is the foundation, the fundamental foundational backbone of programming as we know it in the IT field right now, there are several things that are used as far as pieces when you build a program, but one of the main pieces of logic, y'all don't believe me, ask Brother Smith, is the if-then statement. That, I mean, and anybody who's touched anything in programming knows that if and then. If this condition is true, then this will happen. That logic is given to us directly from the Bible in and of itself when the Lord says, if you walk in my ways, if you keep my statutes, then I will be your father. I will be with thee whithersoever thou goest. So I always try to connect current things to biblical principles. Now, maybe I'm jumping the shark a little bit on that one, but that is definitely something that I see as link that to hip. So now having said all of that, uh-oh, I need the clicker. Who got the clicker? Joe? Oh, my bad, where they at? They up here? Oh, well I go with you, Joe. <laughs> Y'all forgive my waddle. <laughs> is that right I think on? you won, I think you won. Okay. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right, sorry for the people online. That was a, my fault. I forgot to go hunting for what I needed. But there's a whole story behind that too. See, we couldn't find a mic clip. I'm gonna pause that right here. We couldn't find a mic clip and we're gonna have to be holding stuff up. So me being a good old country boy, I scoured the building for my new emergency microphone pinned to the shirt. It's a gym clip, about medium size. Putting this in the bag. So we'll never I put my ram in the bush right there. So now we're going to start with verse 23. This is where uh, Ricky left off last week. Get my notes sorted out here. And we're going to start, read the first section. If I could, please get a reader for, it's on the board for verses, uh, chapter 7. Verses 23, excuse me, through 26. Elder to elder. 
We appreciate that. He also made the sea of cast metal 10 cubits from brim to brim, circular in shape, and its height was five cubits, and it was 30 cubits in circumference. Under its brim, gourds uh, went around encircling it 10 to a cubit, completely surrounding the sea. Gourds were in two rows cast with the rest. It was standing on 12 oxen, three facing north, three facing west, three facing south, and three facing east. And the sea was set up on top of them, and all their rear parts turned inward. <laughs> and it was a heart, a, and it was a hand with thick, and its brim was made like the brim of a cup, like a lily blossom. It could hold 2,000 baths. Okay. So. Now we get the first biblical example of an above ground pool. Um, looking at the measurements of this, um, and thanks to Brother Cook for doing some of the heavy lifting, helping me with this this week. Um, that is 15 meters in diameter, 45 feet around, and seven and a half deep. We all know that a pool in someone's backyard is just eight. If they, if they got a real pool and not an above ground pool. So the capacity of this also, I've seen it, I've seen a couple of different ones. So I'm just gonna give you the range um, because also in one of my commentaries, it spoke about how, and something that Ricky had reiterated last a uh, couple weeks ago about how measurements weren't quite as set in stone like they are now with us. We, everybody knows foot is 12, well, those of us who are not on the metric system, 12 inches equals a foot, et cetera. We, there's, there's no difference based on who's president or who's whatever. 12 inches is 12 inches. So the capacity would be somewhere between 12,000 and 18,000 gallons was the capacity of this thing. Um, now, this will come into play a little bit later, especially when we um, start talking about the dedication um, of the temple. But the capacity of this thing was, I mean, now I looked it up against an Olympic-sized swimming pool because I said, well, man, if this is that big, an Olympic-sized swimming pool is a whole lot bigger than that. But we have earth movers, backholes, and things of that nature. So this was a picture of it. Also in my commentary, oh, actually one of the commentaries that I also borrowed from Brother Cook to get some uh, more background on this, was an interesting concept theory. This isn't Bible here. This is just coming from one of the commentaries uh, about a quote in a biblical scholar. He said that it's interesting that he made, that they cast 12 oxen to be the base of the great uh, the molten sea is what they call it. Um, this was an important thing because it was used in, um, I could quote from Josephus when talking about it, uh, da, 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 da. this is one of the commentaries, by the way, the, the purpose of these labors in the sea is well described by Josephus. We all know Josephus, the Jewish historian appointed by the Romans who gives us most of our background of what was going on and what was happening. 
Now he appointed the sea to be for washing the hands and the feet of the priests when they entered the temple and were to ascend to the altar, but the levers to cleanse the entrails of the beasts that were to be burnt offerings with their feet also. So this was a, a thing used for cleanliness, to prepare fat sacrifices, to prepare the priests to offer the sacrifices and to conduct worship. But the funny thing about the oxes is what uh, the commentary said was that this was Solomon's kind of, I guess, thumbing his nose at the incident that happened with the golden calf. And by casting not just one, but 12 to essentially just hold the water that's going to be used to wash the temple, well, that's just interesting in and of itself. And it's interesting that I say the word interesting so much. Um, I've gone back and listened a little bit. Ricky always told me to do that. Go back and listen to yourself and it'll help you to correct. So I'm going to do my best to find some other word than interesting because I start getting on my own nerves. Um, but that's just, that's just a, a, a point that was made in there that just kind of made me chuckle um, about the about the molten sea and what they used to basically carry. See, there's a, there's a joke that I want to use, but Ricky told me, nah, brother, don't do that. He did. There's one I want to use. It's any of us who have, I'm going to do this right. Any of us who have competed in high school, college, whatever, athletics, would have a coach describe one player being better than the other as one player not being able to carry and transport a certain article of clothing of the better player. Now, if y'all don't know what that means, go ask somebody that plays sports. All right, now we're gonna move, jump on down here. This is 27 through 32, as y'all can hear me laboring up here. Can I please get a reader? Now I'm gonna try to see this because it's like, a long way. Oh, if you got close on your phone, but uh, I don't no, mind if you is, read another. This is a different version. Okay. Then he made the 10 stands of bronze. The length of each stand was four cubics. If with four cubics and it was, and its height was three cubics. This was the de design of the stands. They had borders, that is borders between the crossbars and on the borders which were between the crossbars were lions oxen and cherubim and on the crossbars there were there was a pedestal above and beneath the lions and oxen were wealths of hanging of hanging work now each stand had four bronze bronze wheels with bronze axles and it four feet had supported beneath the basin with cast support with the with the welts at each side and it opening and its opening inside the crown at the top was a cubic and it was opening and its opening was round like the design of a pedestal, a cubic and a half. And, it, and on it 
opening also, there were engravings and their borders were square, not round. The four wheels were underneath the borders and the axles of the wheels were on the stand and the height of the wheels was cubit and a half. All right, thank you, brother. Now what this is, uh, thank you for passing the mic, Elder. Now what this is, is this is starting to describe some of the, um, should I say the supplemental cleaning stations, mobile cleaning stations. This was actually uh, predicated upon kind of almost technology because they put it on wheels so they could move it around. They, it'll also show you later where he would take them and store them. But when the whole congregation got together while they were preparing sacrifices and washing and all this stuff, the people would also need to wash so we could just kind of wheel it around wherever it needed to go. Um, there's a there's an artist rendition. I, I wasn't there with my Polaroid, but there's an artist rendition coming up in a couple of uh, slides and we'll see that. Now, could I get someone to please? Oh, sorry, before I do that, I'm, I do need someone to get ready to read this next one. But one of the notes that I did say in here is that this is becoming basically the plumbing system of we, we take for granted that we can just walk up to our, our sink or faucet whatever holes outside spigot and just hit it and we get water nice running water well they didn't have those options in those days that hadn't been invented quite yet so especially as we get further down into and we start looking at the magnitude of some of the sacrifices that are made you need a whole heap of water for that question comment reading appreciate you This is First Kings chapter 7, 33 through 37. Yes, sir. Thank you. The workmanship of the wheels was like the workmanship of a chariot wheel. Their axle pins, their rims, their spokes, Thank and their you. hubs were all of cast bronze. And there were four supports at the four corners of each cart. Its supports were part of the cart itself on the top of the cart at the height of half a cubit was it was perfectly round and at and on the top of the cart its flanges and its panels were of the same casting on the plates of its flanges and on the panels he engraved cherubim lions and palm trees wherever there was a clear space on each with wreaths all around Thus, he made the ten carts, all of them were of the same mold, one measure and one shape. One size fits all. Thank you so much, Brother Joe. So, this is, <laughs> these carts were built for that, and this is the first time in, I, don't, I believe this is the first time in biblical history where we see rims get put on something. When it starts talking, I mean, I was wondering where they Dayton's or McLean's, but I, I grew up in an era where that was a big thing was to put rims on your car. Rims worth more than the car, but yeah, that's a whole nother story. Um, I'll, I'll knock out seven through 39. I'm gonna get folks to read the longer passages. Um, so this is 38 and 39, still in chapter seven. 
He made 10 bases of bronze, each holding 40 baths. Each basin was four cubits, and each one of the 10 stands was one basin. Then he helped, then he placed the stands, five on the right side of the house and five on the left side of the house, and he set the sea of cast metal on the right side of the house eastward toward the south. So these baths, based on their dimensions, I found, uh, found two, well, this one's a lot less disparaging, held between 232 and 240 gallons of water each. So not, but not only were they used for the washing and everything, it was also used to transfer, and I forget which of the, probably was the Levites, but which one of the tribes was uh, specifically in charge of making sure to keep that situation full. They would also use those to fill that. Like I say, this is that long stretch of road where we're talking about plumbing, but it's important, it's important. Um, moving right along, please, quiet comment. Brother, yes, I don't want the people online to miss the good gravy. One of the things that strikes me as you look at that is that it probably took a long time to get through uh, a service. And I know we, we get through Sunday morning worship about an hour and a half or somewhere around there. I would venture they were there a lot longer than that. <laughs> you got to dip the water and fill the thing and, you know, wash the uh, Sacrifice. sacrifices and yes, all sir. of that. Yeah, absolutely. And Paul preached until midnight. I mean, when we, we're going to get into this, it's a little foreshadowing. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but when we get over there uh, in the chapter eight, uh, when we have the dedication of the temple, the biggest housewoman ever, the magnitude of those sacrifices, like I say, you're going you're gonna to actually take a look at that and go, are y'all sure that y'all had enough water? Y'all should have done this outside. But anyway, as we move on down, just showing the, and now all of this, all of this is cast in precious metal now. This isn't tin or aluminum or something like that. This is all, everything in the temple is the finest woods. It's gold, it's brass, it's silver, it's, it's the, the best of the best. Um, actually, it's interesting as you'll see, and I was gonna bring this up a little later, at the end of the chapter, um, Looking back at Exodus, where did I put that? Especially, uh, I don't see it in my notes, y'all, please forgive me. But in Exodus, where they start talking about the building of the tabernacle, it's very interesting, the correlation between the two, because it goes into, and I read Exodus before, and I always missed this, but it goes into the exact same detail as far as what was what sizes, what was cast how, what was carved where, et cetera. Um, not, of course, on this grander scale, but it's very, it's, it's, it's a very good read. It draws a correlation between the two um, that the Lord wanted to make sure that the original construction plans for the temple and the tabernacle all included. Um, so as we're moving along, uh, next we're gonna go to 1 Kings 7, 40 through 47. Now, you know I'm going to ask for a reader for that because I don't want to pass out up here on y'all. All right. 
First Kings 7, 40 through 7. Now Hiram made the basins and the shovels and the bowls. So Hiram finished doing all the, all the work which he performed for King Solomon in the house of the Lord. The two pillars and the two pillars and the two bowls of the capitals, which were on the top of the two pillars, and the two lattices to cover the two bowls of the capital capitals, which were on the top of the pillars, and the four hundred pomegranates for the two lattices. Two rows of pomegranates were for each lattice to cover the two bowls of the capitals, which were on the top of the pillars. And the 10 stands with the 10 basins on the stands and the one sea and the 12 oxen under the sea and the buckets, the shovels, and the bowls, indeed, all these utensils which Hiram made for the king, for King Solomon in the house of the Lord were of polished bronze. The king had them cast in the plain of the, of the Jordan in the clay ground between the sackcloth and the Zethan. Zethan. However, Solomon left all the utility utensils unweighed because they were too many. The weight of the bronze could not be determined. Thank you, my brother. So <clears throat> now we're finishing up Hiram, who is supposedly Hiram Abiff, is been brought in, and now he is completing the work as far as all of the things that needed building, decorating, carving, etc. So basically what happens after that, and I kind of chuckled at this, is that running through 41 on the 47 is kind of like the receipt. It's just a covering of everything that has just been built. So this was, I said, I'm not sure though if this was the first biblical example of a line item style receipt. <laughs> but he goes back, basically back through, talks about the oxen, the pillars, uh, the bases, um, the one C, which is the molten C, of course, on the 12 oxen. And it runs on down to um, 47. 47 was interesting to me, and this is one of my jumping the shark type concepts when I said that. He left the utensils unweighed because they were too many. The weight of the bronze could not be determined. That just shows you the, and I know I used this word before, but the opulence of this undertaking that he's, I mean, he is basically pumping the, the GDP of the country into this building for this time period. Because um, if we jump back, we saw what type of taxes he had them under like i say this is this is foreshadowing this is going to come in to bite his son a little bit later on don't want to get too far ahead of myself but the funniest thing that it, that made me think about with that and drawing it into relation with something today is some of the 
um, I always watch these specials on all those different networks as far as like History Channel and Discovery and all of that. And one of the things that it talked about was the, like during the 80s and 90s, the money generated by the cartels. Um, it was just interesting that, it, and use that word again, that they, the, the amount of money that they had so much that they couldn't, they didn't count it. They put it in 18 wheelers and weighed it. And that's how they go with the way that they, but just thinking about not drawing a direct correlation, but just thinking about conceptually when you're, the weight of the bronze cannot be determined. That means there's so much resources being pumped into it that people basically just said, we about to stop counting and just keep doing. Um, I'm gonna pause here right quick. Questions, comments. Anybody have something to add? I welcome all comments. Okay. None. So we're going to say that again, brother. I'm still stuck on the Zerathan. The the Zerathan. The Zerathan. In regards, what was that? The Zerathan? Yeah, Sukkoth and Zarathon. Yeah, um, Sackcloth. Now, Sukkoth. those are just those are just places. I'm. I don't think they. I didn't find any um, significance for them. Um, if anybody in here knows a little more, can help me out. Or is that good enough? <laughs> if you need more information on a brother, though, I will go and track it down. Okay, I about to say I have no problem going to track it down if we need to track it down. Um, okay, we just, hold on, let me make sure I got my, okay, yes, 40, okay, seven, chat, okay, I got my, my slides a little bit out of whack, apologies for that. Now, if I could please get a reader for 48 through 51. Brother Joe, okay. Oh, oh no, wait a minute. Let's let go to that side. Yeah, help me out over here. Elder Harvey, you're my only support over here. You and Brother Smith. <laughs> Solomon also made all the furniture that was in the house of the Lord, the golden altar and the golden table on which was set the bread of the presence, and the lampstands of pure gold, five on the right side and five on the left in front of the inner sanctuary and the flowers, the lamps and the tongues of gold. Also the cups, the shears, the bowls, the ladies and the fire pans of pure gold and the hinges, both for the doors of the inner house, the most holy place and for the doors of the house that is for the main room of gold. So all the work that King Solomon performed in the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the offerings vowed by his father David, the silver and the gold and the utensils, and he put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. All right. <clears throat> so we also see here as it denotes kind of at the end of that, put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. The temple served a lot of different uh, purposes or fulfilled a lot of different roles uh, in uh, Jewish culture at that time. Um, and as you can see from after it was completed and he's gone over the itemized list with Hiram, make sure he got everything he's supposed to have. Then he began to 
deck it out, furnish it, get it ready for the dedication, get it ready for use. Um, and as you can see how it talks about everything being made, even the, um, the tools that they use from the fire pans, bolt, everything, gold, the hinges on the door, gold, all of that. See, this is the type of description and not to repeat it from the other week, that if we worship in the building like this and you invited my family, they show up with crowbars and, and, and some situations. I'm just saying. So um, uh, moving on, <laughs> think about my, 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 my cousin running up in here with some boat cutters. Um, but as you can see here, that now that the house is ready, the house is completed, and he's gotten everything in there, and now he's getting ready to go um, and get the dedication started. So we're gonna move on to chapter eight, just kind of give him a little foreshadowing in there. Chapter eight, he's gonna bring all the heads of the houses together, assemble, they're gonna get all the, the things from the temple, and they, I mean, from the tabernacle and bring them up to the temple, and then it's gonna start a big fest, feast, and all these good things. Now, we're kind of getting close. We're gonna start chapter eight and then put a pin in it there. And then we'll, Lord willing, we'll jump back in it next week. We got enough time to cover the first little bit here. So, uh, oh, I forgot. These are some pictures to just kind of give um, some, some imagery, some visual to the types of thing that was, that was, being, that was being put into the temple. Gold and the altar and the table of the showbread. I forgot that was in there. Okay. There we go. Can I get a reader for First Kings chapter eight? We're crossing over into chapter eight now, verse verses one through five, please. The Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of, of the fathers' household of the sound, the sons of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, that is Zion. So all the men of Israel assembled themselves before King Solomon at the feast in the mouth of Edom, that is the seventh month. In the month of Edom, that is the seventh month. Then all of the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the ark and they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tent of meeting and all the holy utensils which were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought them up and King Solomon and all of the congregation of Israel who were gathered together to him were with them before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. All right. Thank you. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. You got one of those smooth radio voices. I like that. But anyway, um, as you can see here, as they're talking about here, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told nor numbered for multitude. As we get into here later, and you can see kind of the end of the party, when the when the um, when everything is said and done, it's going to actually put some some numbers uh, to these things. And it's like I said, if you went back to see the the great molten sea, are you sure you actually had enough water to do that? Um, Ethanum is equivalent to Tishiri, which is going to the old. Jewish calendar would equate to, in ours, we all use the Gregorian calendar, 
would relate to time that ran, that would encompass a piece of September and October. Now, as we saw here, and it says uh, specifically in verse two, and all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim. Now, the feast that they're talking about is actually celebrated to this day. It would be Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, and it is considered the holiest day of the year in Judaism. Did I see a hand back there, Sister Jane? Okay. Um, all right. I don't, okay. We're going to put a pin in it here because we're a little bit past quarter till, and I don't really want to jump in something, and the next thing I know is seven o'clock, and Joe got the stun gun out looking at me crooked. I don't want that to happen. <laughs> so we're going to bring it in for a landing right here, and Lord willing, we're going to pick up at chapter 8, 1 Kings, chapter 8, verse, uh, verse 6. Um, let's have a quick word. Lord, our Father God in heaven, we, we come before you again. Thank you for this hour of worship. Thank you for this time where we can get together and fellowship as a family. Lord, we ask that you forgive us, forgive us of our sins of omission, our sins of commission, and bless us and keep us throughout the rest of the week, and bless us all to assemble here again on Sunday. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Brother Sean.
Good evening. The first song for this evening will be number 632 in praise for the Lord. That's the gospel is for all. Number 632 in praise for the Lord. A one the Lord has made the race through one has come the fall. For sin has gone with go his grace. The gospel is for all. The blessed gospel is for all. The gospel is for all. Where sin has come, must go his grace. The gospel is for all. Say not the heathen are at home. Beyond we have no call. For why should we be blessed alone? The gospel is for all. The blessed gospel is for all. The gospel is for all. Where sin has gone, must go his grace. The gospel is for all. Receive ye freely, freely give from every land they call. Unless they hear, they cannot live. The gospel is for all. The blessed gospel is for all. The gospel is for all. Where sin has gone, must go his grace. The gospel is for all. The song after the lesson be number 667. There is power in the blood. Oh. Good evening. I guess I had to advance the slides, huh? Okay, well, in keeping with the, my theme of trying to use contemporary examples to make some kind of spiritual comparison, I thought I would use the topic of uh, <laughs> spiritual twisties. Okay, now, I don't think that you're going to find spiritual twisties in your Bible <laughs> unless you've got an a, a ESPN Bible or a C-SPAN Bible or something like that. But what made me think about this is one of our elders mentioned a few weeks ago about the Olympics. And certainly this has been a very unique Olympics. It's been a unique in a lot of different ways, but one of the ways that it was very unique was that one of the, the, one of the uh, people that was competing brought up this concept of twisties that I had never heard of. So, so what are twisties? It, it seems like what it boils down to is a kind of a mental block. So try to imagine in your mind, what could possibly be a spiritual twisty, a block that's in your mind, something that, that disorients you. And, and the thing is, as I thought about this, it, it appears that it, it, it happens to golfers and skiers and skaters and all that other stuff too that they just get disoriented in where they are if you think about it you probably have this experience if you ever go to six flags which i can't do i mean i'll go to six flags my grandkids love to get on those roller coasters and go upside down and all that kind of stuff i can't do that <laughs> now that i'm a, a human cyborg i got a pacemaker and all that stuff i can't do that crazy stuff anymore but the bot the, the bottom line is is that you can really get disoriented. And I thought about a time in which I got disoriented. I was doing scuba diving up in um, Puget Sound. I was taking scuba lessons. And 
one of the th there's a lot of things you have to learn about scuba diving that if you want to stay alive and don't drown. <laughs> one of the things that they talked about was hyperventilation. And I never thought that that would happen to me. But, you know, I went out and did my open water dive, went down there, played with the fishes and all that kind of stuff. And I came back up. When I got back up to the surface, I was like this. Fish, seaweed, water, birds, sky, you know. And all of a sudden, I just started hyperventilating. I couldn't stop. It's a really weird feeling to not have control of your body when you think that, you know, I got this. So my, my instructor came along and tapped me like this, and we went back down underwater, and I could, you know, kind of get my act together. And then next time I came up, I, I just came all the way up out of the water, so I didn't freak out like I did before. Well, we're talking about the twisties. Uh, and again, if you've never seen uh, Simone Biles perform, she is an extraordinary athlete. I mean, if you see some, I, I would suggest that you just look at one of those videotapes that shows some of the spinning and turning that, that she does in the air. And, and when you think about, if you're flipping in the air and you can't tell where up or down is, she said it's one of those situations where you can land on your feet or land on your head. And that's a scary situation. So let's get to the spiritual aspect of this. From a spiritual perspective, in my mind, this, is, this, is, this could be a correlation to spiritual twisties. The Bible talks about the fact that we shouldn't be like children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. So what does it mean to be tossed to and fro? It's, it's you know, losing your sense of direction. Does that ever happen to Christians? We ever lose our sense of direction. We ever get maybe disoriented. There's all kinds of things that can creep into our spiritual life that can get us going in the wrong direction. But the truth is that we should live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. We should be completely humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love and making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Say this with me. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is in all and through all in you all. So there you go. Uh, if we stay on track with what God has given us, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and stay with that, that helps keep us from getting spiritual twisties. But you know what? Just like God is everywhere, the enemy is out there. And he's the one that's going to get you all disoriented and not know where you're going and what you're supposed to be doing in terms of your spiritual life. And just like God is everywhere, he, you know, he gets here before we do when the saints are simple. So we have to watch out for him because he's on the radio, he's on the TV, he's on the internet. He's everywhere. He, he might even be with your coworker. 
I know that's shocking. <laughs> or maybe even a neighbor. So we really have to be on our guard. And there's a lot of wannabe prophets out there. You know, the, the Jim Jones, the Creflo Dollars, and all them other people. They get out there and try to tell you stuff that, you know, you do this and you'll be a millionaire next week. <laughs> you know? So we have to stay focused on the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and stay. And you know, with the unity of the saints and with the fellowship of the saints, those are the things that kind of keep us from getting disoriented. And so the bottom line is, don't get the spiritual twisties. Don't be a Gumby. Don't get all twisted around when stuff comes your way to say, ooh, this looks like fun, this looks, this looks good and get disoriented and going in ways in which you know you shouldn't be going. But we know that in order to be straight with God and to avoid the twisties, we know what we need to do. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we know to be pleasing to God, we have to repent. Repent or perish. You don't repent, you're going to be out there doing spiritual twisties. And finally, what the heart man believes under righteousness with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And we know that baptism saves us. Not the washing away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. This is what brings us to a point where we could be solid. We can have a good foundation. We know we'll be pleasing and acceptable to God if we do like God says. And in the, the last slide, it says, prove all things, hold fast that was good. How do you know if you're getting disoriented? Come back to the word of God. Come back to the word of God and know what you're doing. So like, finally, once you've done all these things and you're added to the body of Christ and you're in the family of God, the Bible still says, take heed lest you fall. You can still get disoriented. That's why it's important for us to come back to the basics. Search the scriptures. Study to show yourself approved. And once we do all those kinds of things, that'll help us to keep from getting the spiritual twisties. If you're a Christian, you know all this. But you also know that you can get disoriented and you can always come back. We can, we can confess our, our faults one to another and pray for one another. If you're not a Christian, it's important, it's necessary for you to be added to the body of Christ or you're gonna be twisted all out there in the wind and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So as we stand and sing the song of encouragement, if either of those apply to you, come forth as we sing. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? 
There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power. Wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you do service for Jesus, your King? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you give daily His praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us all here safely to worship, um, worship you, learn about your word. And, um, and I want to pray for us to disperse your word um, and look towards you for the wisdom of the, um, and you know, pray for um, Logan, um, Mary Thomas's um, neighbor's granddaughter um, as she's infected with COVID, that you protect her and um, you bring her th through this um, expediently and, and, um, and all those that are, that are dealing with this um, disease that um, you protect them, you bring them um, to full health.